What's happening? What up with it? What you know good and what it do? We'd like to thank you for tuning in and spending your time with us. You're listening to Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative and entertaining podcast in this pandemic land. We're hitting you with the dopest topics, the rawest opinion, while giving you the straight up facts. That's right, no fake news here. I'm Jewel St. James. I'm Dead Press. I'm Novak. We're giving sight to the blinds, ladies and gentlemen. On today's pod, we'll be pulling back the curtain on episodes 9 and 10 from ESPN's Last Dance documentary. Fellas, what's pop? Man, what you guys been up to? Uh, oh, man. Know. I'm just living life and loving Jesus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that works. <laughs> Tell myself work what's you. up. Tell myself what's up. All right, will do. <laughs> he needed that during this pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> He's everywhere, my child. Oh, okay. All right, if you can purse, <laughs> if you can purse 79th Street, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all still you keeping the streets safe, uh, Jules? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm doing my, I'm doing my thing out there, man. I'm trying to tell people to go in and save yourselves, but they ain't listening. <laughs> as long as you try, <laughs> as long as a, as long as the least I can do is do my part, and I can I can sleep good at night. There you go. Well, it's kind of funny, so. uh I was uh, chopping it up with uh, with Ray. You guys remember Ray, right? We do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so, yes, uh, yeah man. Yes. So, you know, he's over with that that ownership group, and so uh, we was chopping it up. Um, he was letting me know that he hosts a uh, financial power hour on uh, Soul One Hundred Six Point Three FM. So I'm not sure if you guys have uh, checked them out on there, but it comes on on Sundays uh, from nine thirty to eleven. Have you guys gotten a chance to to listen? Oh yeah, I peeped them out. Man, Ray sounding good on there, man. You sounding good, Ray. Man, and one thing, too, that I like about what they're doing, man, is he's basically helping out a lot of these uh, individuals with these small businesses and also artists. So, like, helping them, you know, just making sure that they're moving forward in their craft. So a lot of the information that they're sharing within this time frame is, is really valuable information. So I wanted to give him a quick shout-out just because, man, I really respect what he's doing, and I know you guys both listen to uh, to the show as well. So... Uh, if any of our listeners are interested in, you know, enhancing their financial literacy, you can catch uh, these guys on uh, on Sundays on 106.3 FM from 9.30 to 11. Also, you can uh, stream them at 1063chicago.com. So, Ray, you and your crew, keep doing up the, the, the good work for the community, man. We appreciate you guys. So, without further ado, guys, let's get into this episode, man. Last Dance Recap, episodes 9 and 10. Yes, sir. Novak, yes, talk to me. What was your favorite moment, man, from these episodes, brother? Man, just some of those micro conversations when he said, This is nut crunching time. <laughs> I started yeah. laughing. I mean, I had a coach that's always made that comment all the time. This <laughs> is nut crunching time, but I know where it came from. Mike used to use that line quite a bit, you know, back in the day. You would be at camps and stuff like that. But, yeah, just to hear that, you know, that attitude, that demeanor, how, like, he, he let you know pretty much that you're done at this point. I let you play with me, but it's over at this point. I mean, I just – I love that line. You know, I loved his uh, – the way he communicated with other, other players. You know, the only other thing I liked about that, you know, that moment was before that was the Larry, the Larry Bird moment was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to say that. I'm trying to get that PG rating this week, but anyway, <laughs> that, that line was awesome. <laughs> yeah, man, Mike was so very, on, on, He was really brief. On what part, part Whitney? What did he say? 
<laughs> he was like, you bitch, fuck you. He told that to Larry Berger. <laughs> I was just like, wow. <laughs> there goes the rating. <laughs> he said, there goes the rating. No, you good. Yeah, you good, yeah, no back. Yeah, th- th- thanks a lot, Jules. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're, trying, we're trying to get on WTTW this week, man. Listen, this is pulling back the curtain now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But to, to, to a degree, my brother. To a degree. Oh, okay. Okay, we'll, we'll fix that. We'll go back and fix that later. <laughs> what what what'd you have for us, Jules? A favorite moment for our episodes nine to ten? You know what? I came I, I, I came with a different um different thing. I really like the origin of Steve Kerr. Okay. I thought his story was was something because he wasn't uh a desire you know, a desire where recruits in colleges and stuff was looking at him, but he worked hard. He was a scrapper, you know, go out there and and, and and practice and played and stuff like that and and he was drafted by Phoenix for a year. He went to Cleveland and where he talked about where he would play the Bulls and he idolized uh, John Paxson. You know, you know that was his role. So he learned from you know when he got over to the Bulls in '93, he got under John Paxson and Paxson pretty much he was on his way out. So he 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 molded Steve Kerr to say, hey, this is what Mike expects out of you. You know. I thought that was real. I thought that was real, real nice. And then the story about his his father was was crazy. I was like, man, that's crazy. First of that all, was, that was that was deep, wasn't it? Right. And I'm like, wow, man, this brother here have a story. And first of all, his father' first name was Malcolm. I said, ain't that something? <laughs> so, but he was a professor. <laughs> He's a professor, and he went over to Beirut and stuff to teach uh uh, uh history and stuff like that. And then, Couple couple kids oppose as uh students assassinate him. And wow, then just him using that and you him taking that, his father's assassination and, and using basketball as his outcry and just worked and got a scholarship and then being drafted by the uh, NBA. And then when it was time for him to step up and stuff. He was struggling that game. What was that game six with the with Utah Bulls in Utah in '97? He was struggling, and then he ended up hitting that last game winning shot to to win the championship for the Bulls. Man, I thought that was an excellent excellent story. No, I definitely agree with that, man. And that that yeah. story with that, uh, that story with his old man that that was pretty uh, deep, and it also kind of showed you the parallels that Kerr and Jordan had together, and that's kind of how they had that. I think relationship and respect over time because they kind of had that in yeah. common with their fathers, right? Yep. Yeah, because they're both fathers both of their fathers got assassinated, got killed, murdered. You know? I don't think I don't think Mike knew much about that. I think I think I think Mike might have realized that watching it that night, if he cared in that situation, you know, you know, watching the, the you know what probably watching the you know the, the first run of the last dance because I think I think that would have probably earned more respect from Mike. I think if Mike knew more about that Next story, mm. you know. Well, I mean, it, it it happened when Steve was in college, so you don't think that uh, he might have shared that with anybody? I don't think so. Steve seems to be one of those proud people, where it's like he's one of those people that I didn't even know this. I don't think anybody knew that. Right, that I don't think anybody story. did. Uh, well, so, now, well, I, yeah, that's. I mean, that's if, if nobody knew, now they know. And I, if right. Mike don't know, if he didn't know, then. He, he he might give Steve another phone call. Right, right. 
I would say uh, for me, uh, my favorite moment was probably that fake flu game slash food poison game. Um, oh. I, you know, we previously uh, talked on uh, one of our other episodes about how uh, trash uh, New York pizza is. I think we need to add Utah to the list now, huh? Oh, Pretty man. I mean, Go they, ahead, Nobet. Yeah, what you say, uh, Nobet? I don't, I don't even think that was pizza. I mean, it's weird because they could have took out, you know, you could have took out uh, everybody in that situation. <laughs> Lucky Mike ate by himself. I mean, Scotty didn't need to eat no pizza. As many problems Scotty had physically and mentally. I mean, good thing he didn't get the pizza. He might have died. <laughs> you, you, you know what the funny thing was about that story is Tim Grover mentioned that uh, five people delivered the pizza. And I'm like, why does five people need to deliver one pizza? Like, that, that whole situation was suspect to begin with. Man, they probably put pubes on that pizza, man. You know, <laughs> let alone no telling what they put on top of that pizza. Who was it for again? He said the Bulls. Okay, let's get it right. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing that I liked about uh, this this moment for me, uh, it's always going to be legendary. Just uh, no matter what anybody says about that moment, uh, not even sickness could like, stop Mike. Uh, most players, I think, would have played through that game, but they would have failed in that situation. Jordan didn't. And uh, the image that I'll always have in my mind about that moment was when uh, Jordan and uh, Scotty was kind of holding Jordan up when he was basically probably spent, mm. you know, just physically. And, and mm, Scotty was kind of holding him up, right? That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. He had, he, he, he was, he was giving it all he got on that floor. And when it was timeout or a break or something, he would just collapse in Scotty's arms or whoever was grabbing him. Man, he was just, he was out there just on fumes, probably, you know, not even, not even fumes. I don't even know the word to call it, but he was, he was musting at it from the gods above, man. Cause wow. For him to go out there and, and compete what he did with the food poisoning and, um, scoring what he need when when Scotty was hurt a little bit and you know like I said he was a decoy out there Scotty said he was the decoy the whole game and, um, <laughs> you've been a decoy his whole life <laughs> man <laughs> that was just amazing and I'll, and I'll say too uh Mike in that game I mean he had 38 points right um and he hit that clutch three-pointer uh, with less than a minute to go in the game to give him that the lead, right? They never let go of that lead. And so as far as I'm concerned, I think that was, to me, Mike's one of Mike's uh, greatest performances in his career. I mean, he had so many great performances in his career, but that's the one that I just remember as a kid, and that was just something that, that just solidified it to me that he was he was the best ever. It was, it was an awesome performance, you think about it. I mean – you know, it's funny, all these years later, you know, it went from flu game to I got a poison game. You know, that was quite, that was pretty interesting. And, you know, we still always don't call it the flu game no matter what. You know, it was just – it was amazing to watch him just, you know, transcend his own his own physical limitations that day and just take it to another level. I mean, he took it there. I mean, he went somewhere where uh, – pretty. he went somewhere that, you know, you normally don't see that. You know what I mean? The way he performed and came out was incredible. You know, at that point, I mean, he was awesome. But, you know, Mike's had a lot of great moments. That was a really nice moment. I mean, that's one of those Gatorade moments for you right there. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, it's just, it's, it, yeah, it goes to show you the mental toughness that Mike was in, the determination, his drive. I mean, he's, a, he's the leader of the team, and he put day in and day out, he put that, and he wears that on his on his on his shoulders every night. 
not even he told his mom he's still playing. Even food poison couldn't stop this dude. They hooked this dude up with with IVs and everything to to play. Now I ain't never played organized ball like that. You know, some pickup games here and there. You know, you know, I wasn't. You know, but to go out there to to com- not only to compete to compete at that that level against a championship team and still come out with with I, I don't even know how many points he had. He probably he had forty. Oh, he played forty four minutes and he had thirty eight points that night. Right. Dude, yeah. that's hey man, Mike is Mike's that's a bad man. That's a bad man. And also too, you heard what Scotty said uh when they spoke to him about that game. He just said, Look, Mike showed no matter how sick he was, that he was the best player in the world. And I just keep mm-hmm. going to that. You know, just every everybody saw that. Everybody on that floor, even the, the, if he wasn't hundred percent, he was still the most feared guy on that court. Dangerous, very dangerous, and this is gonna come up later on in our segment with something else, but very dangerous. Yep. So, Jules, did you have any uh, other moments that uh, that stuck out to you that you wanted to share with the listeners? I, you know what I do. Um, Mike's Mike's uh, security Gus. Gus you know, Lett. Rest yeah, in peace. Gus Lett. Sergeant Gus Lett, man. I, I like he had a little little part in the uh, in the documentary. You know, former sergeant for CPD. He did security for Mike back in the days when Mike first got in the league and he broke his uh, foot and Gus would just take care of Mike. And they didn't, it, it, and it went from a partnership to a, a, a father figure for Mike when Mike's uh, pops uh, was assassinated, was murdered. I thought that was a good, I thought that was a good spot in the thing, you know, in the in, in the, in the um, documentary. I, you know what? I um, I agree with that one, uh, Jules. I wanted to kind of take a step back from that. So obviously, that relationship that Mike had with Gus was amazing. But I was kind of uh, amazed by the the relationship that Mike seemed to have with that security team as a whole because those guys seemed like they oh, were yeah. with them right. on the second three peat, right? Right, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep, that's a good point. Right, right. So you had your boy uh, John uh, Wozniak, at Cardi Bob from Martin. You had him that was hustling. Uh, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And he, you oh, had, uh, yeah, you had your, you had Gus, and then you had the other guy, uh, Clarence. He Clarence Travis. He was another uh, former uh, Chicago uh, Police Department uh, officer. Yeah, uh, yep, exactly. The thing about it was, I had read somewhere that when Jordan uh, retired and when he went to play baseball. He convinced those three guys to quit their job at the Chicago Stadium to go be his security guard when he went to play baseball for the Birmingham Barons. Oh wow! I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, and, and awesome. then and then the Bulls hired them back when Mike came out of retirement. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's what's up, man. I didn't know that. That's a good man. Yeah. Hey, man. Michael's cool, man. Michael's cool with them guys, man. He he. That was his crew. Yeah. That was his posse. Now, I'm not gonna lie to you. If someone was really pop off, now Gus might Gus Gus is shooting people. We know Gus is pop, popping. Well, because I don't know about hey, the other ones, man. Gus was a narcotics officer, so Gus was about that life. I don't know about Party Bob. Right, he, <laughs> <laughs> he was he was Alonzo now. <laughs> now Party now Party Bob, he might entertain and, and, and maybe make some people laugh or something. I don't know. <laughs> man, I could. I can see him. I can see him waterboarding people back in the eighties. <laughs> I couldn't see him with that curve <laughs> show up. Party Bob. <laughs> but you never Bob. know, man. 
But you know what, uh, guys? Uh, it was kind of interesting, though. So uh, when, when uh, Jordan's father, when he passed, and you know Jordan was carrying that, that passing really hard, and, you know, they, they the wife said, Gus, Gus's wife said that Mike would call uh, Gus in the middle of the night crying, you know, he would need mm-hmm. to be consoled. And in some cases, Gus would go see him. What did you guys think about that aspect of that relationship with those two? I mean, he felt that void for Mike that Mike was missing from, you know, when, when his dad passed away. So that was a good thing. I mean, that guy contributed to those six championships, you know, especially the last three. You know, he kept them stable and he kept them in a good place. I mean, you know, Mike, you know, Mike was one of those people that, you know, we would never know Mike was crying at night, you know, in that situation because Mike doesn't mm-hmm. like he cries much unless he winning. <laughs> he just beat you and he just got another championship. But, you know, it's good to see him human. I mean, it, you know, we get to see the human side of Mike opposed to the killer. We saw the killer and we saw the human at the same time. And, you know, and I think that's what made him even stand out more as who he is at this point. Uh, you you totally right about that. And then also seeing that uh, Gus was struggling with lung cancer and that he, you know, he went through chemo, lost a lot of weight. But you saw where Jordan, when he finally saw him again, he kind of gave him some shit. He was like, hey, man, he was like, I've been missing you around here, man. Which, 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 where you been? You know, so you can mm-hmm. see but Mike missed him, you know. Mm-hmm. Hey, he said he need to bring his ass to Utah with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what? Man. Also, another. But that was. Another, uh, oh, go ahead, man. Oh no, no, because it sounded like you about to say what I'm gonna say, man. Go ahead. Oh, the thing that I saw was that uh, Jordan actually uh, paid for uh, for Gus's uh, medical uh, treatments and also got him into uh, Northwestern uh, Hospital. So he used that influence to, to help Gus out with his recovery and, and, you know, and everything like that. So like you said, uh, Novak, this moment with uh, Gus and that security team, it, it humanized Mike in a way that I don't think many mm-hmm. moments in that documentary did, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, no, you're it, right. You're right it about in a that. better light. You're definitely right. I mean, he even – Mike even said after that game seven when they beat the Pacers – he even said, hey, Gus is a very positive inspiration to me. So, I mean, that, that tells you all you need to know about that relationship that they had. That went far beyond Gus being his uh, security guy, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I mean we, he became the extra teammate almost. Yeah, I mean, you get to realize, man, Mike is, when he's on the court, he's a killer and stuff like that, but he's still human. He's still human. He still go through things. He still got emotions. He still need, need that outcry. He need to talk to somebody, and not just a yes man. He probably look, you know, Gus probably was telling Mike the real, because Gus he don't look like he sugarcoating nothing now. No, he, probably, he didn't. He probably getting he, he right. He he went in. He probably told Mike what he needed to hear, and not what he wanted to hear. And no. so with that, and throughout yeah. the years and stuff like that, you know, formed that 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 father like figure in that bond with him where you know Mike can call him in the middle of the night if you need something and vice versa when when Gus was down Mike went and, and checked him out and called his wife talked to his wife and stuff so yeah Mike maybe want you know he he's just this dog on the court well no, in all off off the court in personal life you know he's just like I mean seem like he's just like you know anybody else I mean you know if if, if somebody's sick or something like that he'll you know take Check them out and stuff like that. Make sure he's all good and stuff. Or, you know, no, I, I feel you on that. The the thing too, uh, when I think about uh, that that final run that they had, and you know, and the way that the Bulls gutted everything out of '98, that championship, you know, it seemed like it took a lot out of the team. 
they were the probably the oldest team, if I recall, uh, that won the championship. Um, Novak, uh, when you look back on some of these uh, championship runs with the Bulls had, what was your uh, favorite or I think the team that you thought was the best out of all six? Uh, the 72-10 team, that 95-96 team is the best team because what was something, they were so locked in and engaged compared to, like, to the other teams. I mean, that year was different because Mike came off that, you know, that, that loss to Orlando from the previous year, and he used that entire summer to pretty much sharpen, you know, sharpen the iron and get stronger and bigger. I mean, the Pistons taught them how to win, but I think, I think Orlando and Nick Anderson told him that I need to come back and kill you again. I mean, you got to blame Nick for you know, waking up the animal at that point. And then he spent the whole summer just probably just, you know, premeditated killing Orlando. <laughs> so I think I, I said, I said, I said the 72-10 team is probably the best team I've seen because they were just, man, they were, you know, everybody on that team was just clicking in all cylinders. I mean, not, not to take anything away from the other five teams, I think that was the most, most engaged, most most ruthless team I've ever seen in terms of a basketball team. I mean, that's to the, the Warriors. And I think the Warriors, um, they got, you know, they were pretty damn good too, but that Bulls team defensively was just evil. I mean, we saw it once during the 98 team when they held Utah to 54 points. <laughs> yep. I mean, but, yeah. you know, 72-10 team is the best Bulls team I've ever seen. Hands down. Man, you know what? I can't even, dude. I was on. I'm on the same thing to echo off of uh, Novak. That seventy-two, that seventy-two and ten Bulls team was it, it got. Yeah, I mean, hands down the greatest team, the greatest team assembled ever. What they, what they was blowing team. Man, that whole season they was blowing teams out. They was blowing teams out the whole season. Man, they was firing all cylinders. Everything was clicking. Coaching, offense, defense, everything was clicking. I mean, you, you wasn't beating you wasn't beating them boys, and it's you know like like Novak said, the closest was Golden State, but they didn't get the rain for it. So I don't so that they that counsels them counsel them out. So me the same thing. Echo off Novak the same 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 um answer. Seven two and ten Bulls. So I I have a different team for my favorite, but I will chime in and I will say that this team was special to me. Um, Growing up, um, I didn't get a chance to attend a lot of, you know, Bulls games or sporting events, really. You know, things were a little tight for us coming up. But the season that you guys referenced, I actually worked at the UC as an usher. And so I got to see firsthand how this team was just destroying everybody on the court. So I'll never forget those times, man, seeing Rodman out there, wondering what color hair he was going to have for the game. And, I mean, it was that was that was a crazy fun time in life, you know, just being able to witness that up close. So I'll definitely never, never forget those team times. And also, that was a super team that was grown organically. So it wasn't like how these teams nowadays are all grown and people want to play with each other. Like you mentioned a lot of times, Novak, the buddy ball, and these guys want to, you know, treat the NBA like it's AAU. This team wasn't built like that. So I definitely agree with you guys that this was definitely a very solid team. They were probably the best team in NBA history, uh, to be honest. Yes, sir. Uh, but I had the 91-92 team. The, the oh, reason why I, yeah, I had this team because that was Mike's first title, and that was the start of the dynasty. So for me, you know, I saw how Mike beat Magic. And Mike, the way he played in that series, 
I think Mike was damn near averaging a triple-double, wasn't he? Because he was passing the ball a lot more in that series. And that's when Mike showed you that he had a lot more versatility in his game than people was giving him credit for. And so I thought that that was a really amazing team. Also, mm-hmm. Mike and the Bulls served notice to the rest of the NBA that the 90s were going to be theirs. I mean, they just basically took that series by storm after the Lakers got the first game, but then the Bulls swept them for the rest of that series, and it, it was a wrap. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Five-game sweep, yeah. Exactly, right? So, I mean, at that point, we everybody knew that the Bulls were going to be a problem. So uh, that that team right there, that that was my that was my my favorite team. But that, that 95-96 team that you guys brought up, that was a solid squad too. Well, don't forget 91-92 also. And that that Lakers series, he had 13 shots in a row in that game, in one of the games. Oh, that's right. shots, and that was crazy. He went, he got hot, and he got really, I mean, he got hot to the point where it was just like, I was watching it, I'm like, this, this is ridiculous. I mean, when Jordan heats up like that, there's not much you can do at that point. I mean, um, he also, you know, he also, you also look at the fact that he was so dominant against the Lakers, you know. He pretty much stuck Magic, you know. I mean, <laughs> Magic, Magic was just in awe of him at that point. You know, Magic was watching more than he was playing, and that's when you knew that Mike, Mike had really arrived. He sure did, and then Ma- Magic didn't know what to do with himself in that series because uh, then you, they threw Scotty at him. Hell, that was a wrap. Oh yeah, Scotty smothered him, boy. Scotty was on him, and they allowed Mike to do his thing. That was a good, good, good road switch rotation, I feel. Put Scotty on my uh, on magic. Yep, best Man. moment though. That is true, and, and that's a a good segue, Novak, uh, because I'm I'm gonna kick this back over to you, man. So we saw in that in that '98 uh, run where Scotty gutted that out of Game Six. Uh, I didn't think that Scotty was portrayed in the best light in this documentary. So I'm gonna ask you: Do you think that that performance in that game and basically putting it everything putting everything on the line? Did that change your perception of Scotty? No. <laughs> no, I mean, that situation, I mean, my perception of Scotty has always been, at one point, the second-best player in the league. You know, Scotty, despite, you know, the mishaps, at 1.8 seconds, don't want to go in the game, throwing a chair on the court, uh, you know, the, the weapons charge, <laughs> you know, inside the car. <laughs> I mean, despite all that, and then, you know, the contract, the, the you know, the, the un, you know, unexplained surgery that came out of nowhere, I need to get it done now. I still think he, I still think he was the second best player in the league at some point. And I still respect him. I still love the talent. I mean, I think Scottie Pippen is the, the predecessor pretty much to, uh, to LeBron James, to, to Grant Hill, to what Tracy McGrady was. I mean, before them, there was Scotty. So I think I don't think it I don't think it changed I mean I think the negative reception of him I mean I always had like a, a cloud around Scotty but the thing about it is Scotty always found a way to win despite the negative stuff he might have encountered for the situations he got into I still got respect for him I think that Scotty just sometimes immature but I think I think that cancels out some of the immaturity on Scotty because I think Scotty can be very immature and said like when pouted. But he did get out there and get it out. So that gives that puts Scotty back in even with me. Do you uh, do you think this documentary portrayed him uh, in a in a positive light? No, <laughs> no. I mean, that documentary showed him like the problem child. He was he was like he was like the redheaded stepchild throughout the whole entire documentary. 
I mean, he did not come off as being a very likable player. You know what I mean? In that situation, he came off as being spoiled, entitled, and always winning. <laughs> and riding Mike's coattail. But that's just not the way it was. I mean, it's really hard to judge him based on uh, 10 hours. Hey, man, that's fair. Now, now, uh, now, now, how, uh, you, you said, give me the question again, uh, Press. I just uh, I just wondered if, if uh, you guys thought that he was fairly portrayed in the documentary because you know uh, Novak brought up a lot of the, the negative aspects of uh, Scotty's legacy. Right. So just yeah, yeah. Right. See, that's what I'm, I'm trying to understand. listen. Scotty Scotty Pippen Scotty Pippen he, he, he human. He a basketball player. He human, and he didn't get treated fair. Now the contract was was BS, wasn't it? Yeah, he was underpaid, but he signed it. He was underpaid. So, mm-hmm. it, can you fault the man for being being a little okay, a little bitter? Now, yeah. granted, now granted, he should he he didn't have to handle it that way, but I understand. Yeah, he should have took his ass in the court at one point eight seconds. He should have got on the court. Yeah, he can't take it back. He could have renegotiated. He could have got a better contract. His agent could have got a better contract, but. It is what it is. He took that money because he need you know his family and stuff. He has situation obligations and stuff like that at home. He want to take care of his people, his father's brothers paralyzed stuff. Okay, we got it. Now, Scottie Pippen put in work. He's the second best player, second greatest player in, on, on the Bulls Bulls team. He was he was robbing to uh to Mike Batman. Without Scotty, Mike wasn't gonna win them titles. And even Mike said that. Now, okay, what he did when the 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 game against uh uh with his back was was bothering him against uh Utah. He went in there. He grinded out. His back was giving some problems. He went in there to uh to get taken care of and come back out. Man, hey, hey, man, Scotty tough. Scotty's real tough. I think he I think he'll take he's taking some heat on this. Uh the the episodes didn't show him in a good light. But it showed that hey he got screwed over and and, and this ain't handling. Well, I'll say this, because I, I agree with what Novak said, but you also bring up a couple good points too. I think for Scotty, uh he showed a lot of immaturity. Um the the protest against New York, uh when the play was called up for Tony, we talked about that on a previous recap. I thought he could have handled that situation differently. We all kind of said the same thing around that. Scotty being underpaid, Reinsdorf basically tried to talk him out of signing the deal. Scotty w- wanted to go for long-term security. Can't blame the guy there. However, like you can't, you know, you can't have it both ways. It's the way I see it, right? Um, I do feel though Scotty was painted a little negatively in, in this documentary. However, I do like that he got his moment there in that game six where he basically gutted it out for the team because he served as a decoy. You could tell he was barely able to get up the court at all. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. He was decoy the whole game, he said, right. Mm-hmm. So, that, that see, see, I think right there, so we all have done things. We all done done stupid stuff. And we all done good stuff. Now, that 1.8 seconds or the, or, the, or, the, or the contract and stuff like that, that's not his legacy. His legacy is went out there grinding, playing, being the second, being, being uh, the second overall best player against the Chicago Bulls uh, franchise. 
that's his legacy. That one point eight and that that contract stuff. That's just those just little little hiccups, man. That's little hiccups. And then, like you, I agree with you with you, Press. In the end, it painted it painted Scotty in, in in a good light. Like man, this dude here, he, he yeah, he all right. This dude, all right, man. He was he was banged up. He went back there. He could have stayed in the locker room, but no, he wanted to. He wanted to come out there, be with his team. This the championship game. He out there. That was his mentality. He had grown from that uh that sitting there on, on the bench. He had grown from it, how he handled the uh how he handled the uh, contract. He had grown. That you know that's what we do in age. We 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 get wisdom in age. So he he grown that. He outgrown that, and that's what he showed at that uh at that time. He grew, but at the same time, how much of that was because that camera followed him to that locker room? You know, you know what? You're right. You're right, Novak. Yeah, Novak, you come with a different twist, boy. I love you, man. <laughs> I mean, you think about really. hey, hey, Scotty. I tried to get you, Scotty, but Novak, he he didn't he didn't throw a flush in my face, man. Hey, man, when that camera guy followed him to that locker room, Scotty had a different look on his face. He already been down that street before. He saw, he saw the other episodes. He's like, we're going to stretch it out. We're going to get back out there. You ain't going to tarnish me. This is my last chance at redemption. That's what I think he did. And, and, he also, and he also remembered how he never lived out that migraine game either. Mm-hmm. He looked terrible that game. And this one, this one, he's out there limping around like he's having a pregnancy. And I looked at him like, wow, this guy is looking terrible. You know, when he, when he kept posting up and throwing up that little baby jump hook, I was cracking up, whatever, man. You can tell he had no lift. No, none at all, man. He he, he was lucky because most of the times it looked like Stockton or Hornacek was defending him because if they had put somebody a little uh, taller on him, he wouldn't have gotten no shots off. You read about that? Yeah, Hornacek. Yeah, you're right. Like 6'2". <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. Because those little turnaround, little, little, <laughs> little jump sky hooks, man, I mean, <laughs> it was lucky they had Hornacek or, uh, or Stockton on other than that, they would have got knocked in the uh, in the arena somewhere. Well, that's just bad coaching. That's Jerry Sloan not realizing that you had an injury there. They could have ran by Russell at him, you know. And Russell was a terrible offensive player, and they could they could have they could have easy ran him you know, into that situation. It would have been pretty funny. Oh, that is definitely true. I think the thing though on this, uh, Jules, I'm gonna push back on you just a little bit, man. I, I love Scotty, and I do think that, you know, he was definitely the second-best player on that team. But he had a chance in the documentary to, you know, kind of make amends for that decision to uh, to protest. And I think he made a comment along the lines that, you know, it was one of those incidents where he wishes it never happened. But he said if he had a chance to do it all over again, we talked about this before, he said he probably wouldn't change anything that he did. And as Mike said, that's something that's always going to come back to haunt him at some point. And so I think that you can't escape that in your, uh, in your history and your legacy as a player. You know, uh, the other thing too, when I think about uh, Scotty is he was a soft spoken guy and he played in Mike shadow the majority of his career. So when I do think of Scotty, I think that he was beyond underrated, definitely underpaid. But again, that was a contract that he signed. So, you know, you honor your contract. Mm-hmm. Um, true. True. Pip also sacrificed his game, I think, for the team. Uh, so a lot of times you see that a lot of his teammates rallied around Scotty. They loved him as a teammate, and they realized that, you know, he was playing in, in the greatest player of all time, Shadow. So that, that's that's a tough act. So. No, I get you. Yeah, I'd be, 
a lot of stuff he could he, he could avoid on his own. I just feel that uh, uh, all the stuff he did, you know, you, I'm pretty sure, you know, if I get a chance to ask to talk to Scott and stuff, I'm pretty sure he would have went out there. He said he he he, he wouldn't change nothing, but I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I I think he would have went out there, knowing after afterwards the the effects that it had on the rest of his teammates and the coaches and the and the fans and and right and, and how his legacy is. You know, I I just don't believe I just don't believe he he said he wouldn't change a thing. But he could avoid a lot of things that uh was a lot of things it was avoidable. He could have uh, did. I just feel that he was younger. He's a younger player, and. I feel with back then and then now, totally different. He grew up and he matured some, and you know, I I, I think, and it showed with with that decision. Well, except for uh, except for what Nobeck said because of the cameraman on. Now, now, now you got me wondering if that cameraman wasn't there, what would Scotty have done? I think you know. I think you know what he would have done. He would have came back out of that locker room. He would have sat down and thought about it, and then cried, and they would have turned away. <laughs> Dag, Novak, you just straight. Man, ooh, that's rough. You know what, though? Novak, he hit them with the straight facts, though. He hit them with the straight right. facts. Man. Oh, well, man, I tried, Scotty. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, one thing I think about, too, Scotty was in his feelings that whole season. So we think about before that season, uh, they were trying to trade Scotty. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later on in, in this episode. But uh, we also heard in, the, in this uh, documentary – Reinsdorf breaking down why the dynasty uh, broke up. Uh, so, Jules, I'm going I'm to kick this over to you. What was your thoughts on that conversation with Jerry Reinsdorf when he started talking through uh, that decision to, to break up the dynasty? Honestly, I turned the TV off. No, I didn't. I, you know, it was garbage. Because what when, when he gave, when... Uh, the reporter gave Mike the tablet. He here has how he what he his reason. He said that everybody else was was pretty much they was they was used up. Scotty was used up. Curb, Robin, well, pretty much everybody was used up except for Mike. He offered Phil to come back for one year. Now, how do you go from how Kraus go from I don't care if you go eighty two and zero with a championship to now you win the championship and. You, it, now the other, you know, the, the, the main man's gonna tell you, you know, you can come back for one year. I thought it was just, I, it, it was, it's it's too late. You don't make a comment like that in the beginning of the season and the end of the season after you win, then you gonna say, okay, put that stipulation. And you didn't, you didn't talk to the team, like Mike said, you could have just left that. You could, you didn't have to say nothing at all. I, I think I, I think it was all BS, man. Right. They, 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 exactly. they had yeah, they had their minds made up already. And exactly. Let's, let's be honest. Cross wanted to he wanted to rebuild that a year early, and they were able to basically talk him into letting them have that last dance. I, so. I mean, I, I don't I, I didn't you know, I did not get that. Why what did like we said, we talked about this earlier um, on on our on our on our shows and stuff. What did Phil and the team do have done for you to, you know, I'm going to dismantle it? The man all brought they, you, he brought you six rings. All they did was win. Right, right. <laughs> now, I, I get it. I get it. You know, 
they ain't like him. All at the end, they ain't like him, and he wanted to, he wanted to break his break his toys, bringing new toys. But see, the problem is, you get rid of Phil, you're getting rid of Mike. Okay, you get rid of Mike, Scotty's gone, and Dennis, and hey, pretty much everybody else is gone. Who else? Who else going? You ain't have a team. Well, so, they they knew that Jordan wasn't playing for another coach. He wasn't right. going to play for Tim Floyd. He wasn't going to play for any other coach that was out there. So they knew that. They they basically forced Jordan's hand. Now I thought what was I what I thought was was pretty deep was when they said they'll ask Mike who what coach you want if it's not Phil. Yeah. You think Mike? You think Mike would pick somebody else? I don't think so. I think uh, I think Mike was pretty sold on basically being with Phil. You got to think about that. At that point in Mike's career, it was either going to be Phil or Doug Collins, and D- Doug Collins wasn't coming back to that team to coach. Doug was right. done. He was done at that point. I think. I think the thing is, you know, that was just a smoke screen. I don't think they had any intentions of uh, bringing any of those players back, and they were going to let Mike walk as well. It was just Reinsdorf. He was just doing lip service at that point. I mean, I think that, you know, Jerry Cross realized he couldn't control that situation. Cross and Reinsdorf were on the same page the entire time. They He tried to throw Jerry under the bus out there a little bit by saying he went to Phil and said, I'll take you back, but you got to rebuild. He knew that Phil was going to say no. So he right. played the game pretty much in that situation. There was a game being played. There was a lot of gamesmanship being played because Reinsdorf didn't want to be the bad guy. So he let Cross become the bad guy. He alienated the team against Cross. Cross was pretty much up to no good, but Jerry put that distance between them because he wants to be loved. He also, when they do these documentaries, he wants to be looked at as being a part of his greatness. And he gave that crap about seeing all those people happy in Grant Park. And I, could, I just can't believe these people are just so happy. And I'm glad I could be a part of that. I'm like that was the that was the most patronizing line in, in the whole documentary. I mean, yeah, I, I, think, I agree. I, I don't agree. think he gave a damn about mm. them winning the championship. You know, it's not the way he felt about the White Sox winning. That was a totally different love. Well, you you saw how he reacted when the Sox won in 2005. Oh, he sh- he shot his load when the Sox won in 2005. <laughs> man, you know, fluids went everywhere in that room. You know, that's a totally different situation. But, you know, when the Bulls won, he pumped his fist one time and walked away. Jerry Cross was happy because, you know, it makes him like a genius again. But Ryan Storff in the background, like, he went and we need money for the Sox. And that's pretty much what happened. If you think about the year they went to strike, they would have won a championship the year they went on strike in baseball. I mean, the Sox, the Sox would have had two. So I think, you know, the Bulls championships, he said once before, he'd trade them all in for another, another World Series championship. He sure, he, he sure did. He sure did. That tells you all you need to know about that situation. One of the things yeah, uh, I, I was just going to say real quick, that one of the things that I thought was really interesting about the way that the documentary interviewed Jerry is they did it in a way where they basically allowed him to explain it. So that way Jerry Cross wasn't going to be the scapegoat anymore. Because if you look at earlier in the, in the documentary, Jerry did make comments to the media about Phil and whatnot. But let's just be honest. Jerry's the one that holds the purse strings. So he's the guy that's running that operation. So if he wants something to be done a certain way, he's got the juice and the the capital to to make it happen. So he basically outlined why they went ahead and did it. He mentioned that all those guys' market value was going to exceed what he was going to be willing to spend on that team. So basically he admitted that he let economics get in the way 
of allowing those guys go out and win a number seven. And as a fan, that should piss every one of us off because that's bullshit. Like, you 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 allow your team to be beat. You don't just quit. You don't just take the easy way out and say, ah, we won six, that's good enough. Like, who the fuck does that? Right. Jerry Reinsdorf. Right, right, yeah. I mean, you know, he. I think he played cross on that situation. He played cross his ego, and then he used the financial thing to finish it off. So he, I think financially he already is pulling the plug, but Jerry Cross played right into his hands at that point. And he basically gave him exactly what he wanted. He served that team up on the platter and cut him up. Now, see, not it, right. It, with that, now you even got Mike saying we could have won seven. We could have won the next year. But now we don't know. We'll never know. We never know. That's it. And Mike is he, he. You can tell in that documentary, it was in his. No, exactly. his eyes was like, yeah, right. You can yep. look at him till he was he was upset about that. He wasn't he wasn't satisfied. After all the stuff he accomplished, he was like, man, he could Ryanoff could have asked, um, who who wanted to come? Mike said. He'll come back for he said he was signing one year contracts anyway. He said he would have yeah. came back. Phil would have came back. This everybody would have came back for one more one more one more year. Yeah, but he, he also mentioned maybe Scotty might not have come back because Scotty wanted to get paid. Right. He said he'll he'll take some convincing, but he'll he'll Scotty ain't going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing, man. Point blank, when I look at this, you know, you you ride this thing until the wheels fall off, right? Mm-hmm. The championship should always be defended. Exactly. So the way I look at it, Krauss deserves uh, criticism for the bad relationship that he had with Phil, with Mike, Scotty. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he didn't have the best relationships. And as a GM, it's important to have those relationships. Also, Reinsdorf deserves an even bigger amount of credit for not finding a way to run it back with that team where they could go for seven. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that really pisses me off is that 98 season was a lockout. It was a shortened season. So the Bulls were an older team, so they would have had more rest. It was a shortened, condensed season. And a number eight seed New York Knicks team went to the finals that year, and they went there without Patrick Ewing. That is a team that the Bulls would have wiped off the court. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I agree, but hindsight's twenty twenty in that situation. It's it's the same thing with you look at this year, the Corona year, right? Yeah. Now, what if Kevin Durant tore his Achilles and set out this year in Golden State? They win a championship again the next year. If you think about it, I mean, players sometimes make decisions without looking at the bigger picture. You know, they they make decisions based on the spur of the moment. I mean, most of these guys this year, to be honest with you, they could have had whatever surgery they needed and got it done and repaired and been ready to go at this point in the year or even next year because this year is a wash. 98 was a wash the same way. I mean, the Bulls could have won a championship in 98, you know, the short strike year. Without, without, you know, because Mike would have came back in shape, better shape than everybody else. Scotty's back would have healed up. And I think, I think Dennis would have went to Vegas enough by that point. They would have they won a championship without trying considering the fact that everybody else is so distracted by finance at that point. Scotty already was complaining about money. 
So I think the, the strike to him would have been like whatever. I mean, he wasn't making very much money at that point. Now I don't think they were going to pay him that much. They could all sign one-year deals have been good. Mm-hmm. You know, one-year deals across the board. One year, everybody win another championship. And if you want to go for eight, one year again, I would do it until I would do it until somebody beats them. That's what I would have done. Mm-hmm. No, I, I I agree with that one hundred percent, man. You know, you you and you could tell Mike at the end of that documentary that that was eating up at him. You right. know, the, yeah, that he didn't get a chance to defend that title. And they also tried to compare it to what happened to the Celtics, you know, with with uh with Bird, McHale, you know, they basically had those debilitating injuries. Tried to say that uh, Ryan Stokes didn't want to see them go out like the Celtics. Hell, I want to go out like the Celtics as much as they want. I take that, you know, not being able to walk a couple of weeks <laughs> out of a year to get those many championships they got in Beantown at that point. I mean, that's a totally different situation. I mean, Boston, Boston was the you know pinnacle of what it takes to win every almost every other year. You know, you had Bill Walton come off the bench out there. That's how good they were. I mean, it's just it's just crazy you think about, like, they chose finance and ego over winning another championship. They sure did. They sure did. Uh, other thing, too, Krause, he had this grand plan that he wanted to reload and rebuild the team uh, before that 97 season. He wanted to trade Scotty. For T Mac and Jordan vetoed that that proposed trade. So, uh, Jules, what do you think about that move on on Krause's part? And what's your thoughts on just the way Jerry handled the situation all the way around? You know what? Terrible. I mean, T Mac he a good player, but he ain't no Scotty. I mean, I get it. Scott, it's got a you know a little age, you know, a little older. T Mac is younger, but man, you don't mess up. You don't mess up a good thing. You don't mess up a good thing. It's not broke, so why fix it? That's you all I'm gonna say about it. It's and, not and broke. Another, and another thing too, because you you make a good point with that. It seemed like Jerry, his relationship with Phil was basically beyond repair, and I think Krause also thought that Scotty was starting to break down physically. So I think that that was like his way of thinking, like he could like get rid of Scotty. He didn't want to pay him that extension. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to pay him a, a big, you know, contract. So I think that was his way of thinking. I can re- replace T Mac with Pip. But you're right. The Bulls were going to win uh, title number six with T Mac replacing Scotty. I'm sorry. So you make him do a physical. If he passes the physical, then he, you know, he can play, right? Novak is is is. Do they have physicals in these basketball uh, uh, camps and stuff? Do they have physicals where you have to pass a certain thing so you can play or get your money? Yeah, of course they got to take a physical. Um, right. I think the, the way that that works, though, is Scotty always passed those physicals, and Scotty always showed you that he could play through that. All right, then what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, a little extra money. He might have bought some Advil. And he might <laughs> <laughs> You know, every time I, every time I think about Mike Green Sky, I think about why did he take some Advil? You know, and went out there and finished it or taking a pain reliever or something. I mean, you know, it, it was interesting. I mean, I do think that you know they would they would have came back for the money. They would have came back for less money to compete, much less money. I mean, I don't think the money was an issue at this point. No, yeah, they they wanted they I think they all wanted to win. 
And I, I think that's what it, what it came down to. If they would have offered them a fair contract, I think those guys would have all taken it. They would have taken it, I mean, because, you know, when you got guys out there um, burning quotes in cans, you know, with gasoline, you know, it wasn't about money at that point. It was something, it was like, it was something near and dear to them at that point. They didn't care about the money. Good point. I Good mean, point. you know, when Phil Jackson's you know, whole Zen-like mentality kind of infused through all of them, and they all started thinking in you know ways to you know heal and, and and get better and feel better. I mean, psychologically, that was like a that was like a sports death. You know, to be honest with you, for everybody who went through that period with them. I know it was in college. We were all in college that that year. It was yep. that first year at or at the high school, and it was traumatic because the world was changing and we were changing, and you know. And the thing that we, the thing that was normal to us, was gone at that point. So it was, a, it was a lot to stomach to be in a city or be somewhere else in this country, or even be in the Chicagoland area, and realize that we weren't the best anymore. Was just bizarre because you know basketball, the way we saw it from like '91 to '98, we were better than everybody else. Even when Mike wasn't here, he still had pride at that point. And when he went away for two years, it was darkness. And then the 98 year, that New York Knicks year, I don't think I watched any of that shit because it was terrible. Patrick Young was crippled. Uh, Allen Houston was out of his mind. The trail Sprewell was stupid. It was it was a terrible <laughs> time. I mean, it was, stupid. It, it was just it was hard to watch because you know you, you John Stark was on the decline. Mike had took his soul so many years that John Starks was just there. He was just a shell of who he was. I mean, John Starks from '95. And 98 wins the championship. <laughs> John Starks in 98, he was just another light skinned dude on the court. <laughs> At that point, he was done. You know, he didn't have it. He, he, he was definitely done. He was definitely done when he when he played for the Bulls for for like two games. Don't even oh, don't God. even don't don't ever bring that up again. <laughs> in this oh my God! That that never happened. That was the most hateful oh. signing ever. That was did Cross sign him? Yes, he did. Oh my God! Greg Anthony too hated us. He had Greg Anthony on that team. It was like it was like every Nick we hated came to Chicago for like two weeks. You gonna you gonna, you gonna make me find a mug to throw? I'm telling you, y'all stop talking about this stuff. It's making me mad. Go ahead, but, go ahead throw it, man. Go ahead, throw it, dude. So Greg, Anthony, Greg Anthony was cold that year on the NBA on NBA Live. I remember I remember lighting people up in the dorms of Greg Anthony. <laughs> That lefty, that lefty jumper? Yeah, I had I had a shooting motion down. I was putting 50 on people, Greg Anthony. And people were like, you know what? I'm done with this game. Oh, hey, man, that's Greg Anthony. Because stop. <laughs> I, I will say this, though. I, I did like Greg Anthony in college. I was a UNLB guy back in the day. So I, I liked him then. Just when he was on that Knicks team, didn't like him too much. Didn't like him. Uh, oh. yeah, it, was, it was cool, UNLV. I still think his son going to be better. Cole's you know be what, better. Cole? Yeah, I, I think Cole gonna be all right. He gotta stay healthy though. That'd be easy in the NBA, you know. For him, I think at this point, I think the little meniscus thing. Good, good thing he got out of the way when you're 19, opposed to having happened at 25, 26. We all know what that's like. We happens at 25, 26. How that turns out? Yeah, we 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 saw that story. I mean, that's that's why this team has been ever since the Bulls uh, let Mike and Scotty and Phil and Dennis and everybody leave. We've been stuck in this damn purgatory hell ever since. You know, we've had. Tyson and Eddie and, and D Rose, you know, with the, the ACL, which that was, we were just, uh, we're, 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 uh, we're a doomed franchise, you know, like 
that Derrick Rose team, I thought we were going somewhere, but we it just turned to be a whole lot of nothing, right? We went somewhere. We went, you know, <laughs> we went to the rim of the toilet and we didn't quite flush. That's what that was. Damn. I mean, it was. Uh, oh man, you know, ten thousand flushes on that. I wish. Well, it's blue water. <laughs> 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 it was sadness, man. You know, that's the first. That besides World Championships, the Derrick Rose era was probably the saddest other time in Bulls history. It was like a funeral <laughs> when he went down. I was like, he, he, I'm like, I knew what it was. I was like, he tore it. And everybody looked at me like, why are you being negative? No, I know what that is. I've seen that in the gym many times. You know what? That that was a that was a tough day, man, because we had that game in hand. I don't want to sound like that the guy that blames Tibbs for everything, but in that situation, Derrick should not have been in that game. And basically, our, our shot of basically going far that year just went down the drain. I'm still a little, still a little bitter about that, by the way. No, that's a good reason because you know he didn't do his job. That's what that was. You know, Tiff said, "Do your job." He didn't do his job. Right. You know, do your job. You're up by twenty, and what you doing? You got Derek out there playing hopscotch in the lane and blows out his ACL. When he took yep. that leap, he took that leap, and he did that transfer to weight. It was gone. I mean, I'm just going to like, man. You know, even Reggie Rose knew what it was. Reggie tore his ACL in high school. So, you know, you're looking at it like, look at this. This is ridiculous. I mean, history repeated itself at the wrong time for that family. It sure did, man. It sure did. That, that, that's, it's just been tough, man. And we're, we're diehard fans. And so this, this documentary, just when we're looking back on it, it's been, a, it's been an awesome documentary. But the ending of it really, for me, it just left a bad taste in my mouth just because it just reminds me of mm-hmm. the morons and the idiots that run this organization and how we were lucky to have Jordan. Mm-hmm. Cause if we didn't have Jordan, we wouldn't have these six titles. Right. So right. I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I just, I think black Jesus, I know you talk to Jesus a lot, Jew, black Jesus though. Mm-hmm. I, I man, I think every day that, that he came here, number 23, black Jesus. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Black Jesus, black cat, whoever black. <laughs> <laughs> so, so thank man. You, yeah, thank you. So, man, do you guys uh, think this documentary uh, ends that goat debate for uh, people that are out here, you know, spewing nonsense online? There was never a debate. I mean, this is, you know what that was? That was a bunch of millennials with their head up their ass. That's what that was. You know, these, that's, the, that's, the, that's the community of people that, that get participation trophies. They can all go to hell. I mean, you know, you don't get a trophy for showing up. You don't get a, you know, like Dennis Rossi told a story about being at Jordan camp and missing a free throw and win a pair of shoes. She said she thought she was going to get a pair of shoes and Mike didn't give her the shoes. Mike basically looked at her and said, next kid up. And somebody else shot, you know, took a shot and got the shoes. And so, you know, after that, the next time she went back to the camp next year, Mike got on her, like, you've been working on your free throws? <laughs> so, you know, that's the way the world should be. Now, if that had been uh, LBJ, you missed a free throw, he'd buy you a house or some shit. Or he'll do a commercial with you, or he'll tell you how great you are at that point. And, yeah, that, and, and also make sure that the media is somewhere with a camera to record it all. Yeah, then he'll sing, and then, you know, then, you know, then John Legend come out and sing, I promise, or some shit. So, you know how that works. I mean, it's just, you know, they're so, they're so, you know, he's so atypical in terms of like that guy who wants to be a good guy so bad that he wants you to believe he's a good guy. And it's not natural. But I think that um, there's no debate. I mean, that's like, that's like, that's like comparing Pepsi to Wildwood. You know, Pepsi, 
Pepsi tastes better than Wildwood. Wildwood, you buy that from Aldi. That's what, you know, I, I look at that guy as Wildwood soda pretty much. You know, he never, you know, there's no sugar. There's no sugar in that drink, you know, or caffeine. You know, that's, oh, a, you, know, you know, it's just what it is at that point. I mean, I think he's a, he's, he's a, he's a great basketball player. But so is Will Chamberlain. So is Oscar Robinson. So is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So is Magic Johnson Larry Bird. Don't disrespect these people up putting this guy up there in the go conversation. Don't disrespect the past. You know, those guys out there, they won more championships. They played during racism, you know, all types of angry eras in this country. They played during, you know, things we couldn't even speak of. Mike played during the turf period. Mike played during the, the Reagan economics period up into the cocaine era in that situation. <laughs> Think about Man, that. Was, Mike, Mike, was, Mike, was, Mike talked about coke. dabbing now. They was mm-hmm. that a little bit in, in, in the halftime now. You know, you know, you know, Michael Ray Richardson, you think about those players. I mean, great players, but they couldn't stay off the powder at that but, point. Bernard King. Bernard King. Oh, man. Bernard's, <laughs> Bernard thought his knees were good. That's how he was, but with a chain on. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the man was hooping like that in Pumas, man. Come on. And Converse. You know, ain't no, ain't no bounce in them shoes. That mean, that mean they had to be high as hell. <laughs> oh man! But you know, to think about you know a goat debate. Come on now, that's bullshit. You can't debate that. You know, you can't. You can't even do that. I, whenever I see some kid fix his mouth, say LeBron, I almost want to spit in his mouth. Like what you say? You say LeBron. LeBron what? <laughs> Take your multicolored sneakers that no one buys and go sit in the corner. We don't care. You know, your your idol god is fake. And that's why I look at it sometimes. You know, and take it away. I mean, I think I think you know, to somebody that's never seen greatness, and you chime in almostness. I think that's the way it works. Man, I do. I agree with everything you said, uh, Novak. There is no debate. Why? For me, everything you said. Plus, before Mike came to the Bulls, Jerry Reinsdorf couldn't give away them tickets. They ain't want them. They said Chicago Bulls, Chicago who? They thought, you know. So they get Mike. First round, third pick. Okay, cool. Coming in, his rookie season averaging 28 points, six rebounds, six assists, two steals, and one block per game. His rookie year, run rookie of the uh, NBA rookie of the year. He blew out his knee. I mean, his uh, his foot. I'm sorry. Excuse me. His foot. Did rehab. Talking about it's a chance that if he break it again, he may never play again. He went with the he went with the odds. I mean, the odds was a good favorite, but they was focused on that ten percent. Uh, Jerry was. He did his own rehab. Played. Got strong. He got better than better than before. He was like a. A young lion just being caged all this time. And then when he opened up that cage, he was just running. He got rid of those cocaine teammates he had because they was snorting and drinking during the, during the game and stuff. He got rid of them and got some, got some real players, got some, got some talent behind him. Give Jerry Krause some, some credit. He built the team around him. Cool. They ended up playing and scrapping, losing the, losing the Boston. Kept playing and scrapping, losing Detroit for, for three seasons. Mike said, you know what? We need to get our weight up. And the team followed. Not only the team followed, he developed these players. He didn't go play and 
play with different superstars. Right. He didn't ask for different superstars to come to the team uh, to his team. He developed the players he had. That's a, that's a true leader. I don't want to hear nothing about no LeBron James. I don't got no problem with LeBron James. I think LeBron James is a great basketball player. I think he's a great basketball player. He do things for his communities and stuff like that. He got the, the uh, I am great uh, proposal and stuff and and um, sends people to uh, Akron um, College, I believe. Uh, yeah, Akron University, you know, scholarships and stuff. He's a good man, good, 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 great basketball player, good role model. But you talking about the GOAT? Man, it's, Michael's on a different level. He was, he's on another level. You, people can't even – I don't know if anybody can reach this guy. I don't know. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think so either. I mean, in Mike's own words in that documentary, he said this thing started with hope. He started out his career on a shitty team, right? Mm-hmm. But he ended up with one of the best dynasties of all time. He said all that thing needed was one match to start that whole fire. One match, exactly. And he was, and he was, man, he was it, bro. I'm telling you. So I agree with both of you guys, man. I, I'm not even gonna bring up that other guy's name, but what this is what I will say. I'll say, Mike's in this documentary. I think his dominance has been shown to a new generation of basketball fans. So if these people didn't know what Mike was all about, I hope they took basically notes of what this guy was all about. The guy took abuse from some of the best defensive teams in NBA history, the Detroit Pistons, the New York Knicks, the Indianapolis Pacers. These teams were physical, tough teams that the Bulls had to get through. Mike had a competitive fire and a will to win and a killer instinct that was on full display during this documentary. The one thing that I always say about a guy like Mike is killers kill. And Mike, if you were in front of him and you were stopping him from winning, he was going to annihilate you. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what that man did. Now, all I can say is that the shot and the last sequence when the Bulls were down and how Mike rallied that team and he hit that game with a shot over Byron Russell, that's a prime example to me of what killers do. They kill. He killed Byron Russell. He didn't push off. Byron Russell was a wounded animal at that point, and Mike put his ass out of his misery. That, that's the way I saw that move. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. You know, one thing, I li- one thing I liked about that uh, sequence, man, that when he, got the- when he stripped the ball from Carl Malone, he said, looked over at Phil. Phil didn't, he didn't do nothing. Phil's like, his comment, he, dude, Phil's comment was, if, if they can do something without talking about it, it worked great. You know what I'm saying? So let's go with a live ball situation. He had so much faith in that team, and Mike, in that team, he let it play, and Mike did what he did what he had to do. He did what killers did, and he killed. Stripped the ball from Carl Malone, who's a who's a, uh, a top fifty uh, athlete. Went down and you know, Bart, you know what, Russell. We haven't heard from Russell after that shot, man. I hope he alright, but he's you know saying he he drained that shot over uh, Byron Russell and and man, that's just it's, it, you can't even I, ain't no words to describe that man. There's no words to describe it. You can describe it's called a free agent NBA. 
I mean, Russell, <laughs> when he pulled up on Russell, Russell's whole career was gone. I mean, he might have a Russell right now to someone we don't know about. <laughs> he sold, I think he out there selling stew. <laughs> That's what I think he's doing right now. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, you know, chime in what you said about LeBron and education and everything like that. One thing I always want to point out, how is he the patron saying the education when he, when he didn't care for high school and didn't go to college? But he wanted to put you in there. I'm trying to understand this right now. I've been trying to understand this for years. Where like, you know, that's like that's like a um, that's like a chef telling the rocket scientists how, how how to basically how to build a rocket ship at this point. And that's always been my complaint about the education thing. I mean, I understand, you know, you talk about, yeah, I want to see people go to school, I want to pay for people to go to college. How about you do what you have enough people to do? That's all that's all I gotta say sometimes about that whole education thing and and I promise I'm going to put these kids in Akron University. I want to see him eat his own soup at some point. You know, well, because he, yeah, he always talks about everybody needs to go to college. I'm like, LeBron, where, where are you going in that situation? Are you, have you seen it? <laughs> and that's why I get a little bit disturbed about the whole I promise thing in school and education when, when LeBron James mm-hmm. is celebrating graduations <laughs> on TV. I'm like, I can understand Barack, you know, but I, I don't get him on TV hosting a graduation party. I'm trying to understand it. I'm trying to be fair and honest in this situation. I think he's doing great things, but it's hypocritical to a certain degree. Well, I think it's a prime example of uh, how our, uh, we were we were treated as when we were kids. It was a combination of uh, do as I say, not as I do, right? And I think that's right. mm-hmm. pretty much where he's at with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big time. You know, they'll tell you, don't do this. Don't hang out all night. What did they do? They hung out all night. So it is what it is, you know. It, you know, you gotta you gotta be fair and just in those situations. You also you also gotta have some type of point of reference in order to tell other people what to do. Oh, that's true. But my thing is, when I think of Mike, I think of a guy that basically became a, a global icon without the benefit of social media. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to post. He didn't have to do things to make himself look great. He was great. We saw it on the court. Uh, we saw how he willed his teammates uh, and basically made them all winners. So when you look at a guy like Jordan, I mean, at the end of the day, his resume and everything just it speaks for itself. Uh, that that final shot, to me, I think that was the most iconic shot in NBA history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Also, too, one other point I want to make when we're – basically kind of closing down this, this this subject or this topic, Mike did all this while playing 82 games a season. Let's not forget about that. Let's also talk about the fact that he also played heavy minutes. There was no load management in this NBA. These guys competed on both ends of the court and both kinds, especially the superstar players like Mike. Mike was all right. – uh, he was a nine-time all-time uh, all t- uh, first-team all-defensive player, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing about it is that NBA and the way that Mike thrived in that NBA, I don't think we're ever going to see one of our top-level guys not skipping back-to-backs, uh, deciding when they want to play, uh, wanting to, to have minute restrictions and not wanting to practice. You saw those guys on those Bulls teams. They didn't want to show up to practice because they knew Mike was getting ready to kick their ass every damn day. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Well, it goes, it goes to show you what society we turn into now. We went from society where we blue car, hard, hard-nosed working people to now, you know, my, my toe hurt. 
oh, this is too much. Or mm -hmm. why can't we do it this way? Everybody crying now. You know oh. what I'm saying? It's sickening. Now the society's got them soft. Mm -hmm. And it's not just in basketball. It's in life. Yeah. It's in life. I mean, that's a softer generation, to be honest with you. I mean, you know. It's disgusting. We, it, well, it is. You, you realize these kids all play you together. They all, they all getting trophies are coming in. They all staying in five-star hotels. You know, when people stay in the day's end, they, uh, my, when I do when we play you and everything like that, when we travel, we stayed in shitty hotels. We didn't stay, you know, we didn't stay in the best hotel in, in Vegas. We didn't get new uniforms every day we played. We got one uniform, we got there. These kids get wardrobe changes. <laughs> it's totally different. It's a totally different era. And you know, you're right about that, Press. The load management, the uh, I'm tired, you know, my vagina's hurt, whatever the hell is going on with them, basically. I mean, they be tripping. I mean, you think about it. LeBron missed how many games? With the, how many games LeBron missed with a um, little pull of groin? Michael Jordan almost cut his finger off, you know, to smoke a cigar, cutting a cigar, and he right. still was on top of his game. Right. If, the guy, if this guy gets a hangnail, he's out. If Kawhi Leonard wakes up in the morning his, in the weather and it's raining too hard, his knees are hurting, and he's out. <laughs> and it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's, a, it's a different game. I mean, Giannis Anacumpo is the closest we're going to get to another great killer. At this point, or even or even Stephen Curry to a big degree. Now, Stephen Curry had a real injury. You know, he broke something. He broke his hand. He had to get some screws. That's that's acceptable. But hurting your vagina is not going. I, I don't want to hear to see you out for see you out for twenty games and not make the playoffs. No way. And don't get don't give me don't give me. He tried. He tried. Whatever. I mean, that injury was. You know what? This I'm I'm a, I'm a gal for that one <laughs> right now. No, I, I knew you were going with that. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I just think at the end of the day, man, uh, this debate, uh, this 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 documentary should end any debate regarding the GOAT conversation. And I just think the people that may have been misinformed, that thought that maybe somebody else was getting close to Mike's throne, I hope this ended that discussion. And that's just the way I see it. Novak, hit us with that curtain call, our final segment here. I mean, this curtain call goes out to none other than number 23. Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. He changed the reception that people had at the city of Chicago. We're no longer the second stage in New York, LA. He made us, he made us a city of big shoulders. You know, he made us, you know, he made us the windy city. You know, not because he jumped out the gym, because he just glided, you know, everywhere he went, through the city, through life, winning. He just, you know, the guy just floated through every, every moment in the city. He gave the city a sense of pride that was lacking beforehand. Here in Chicago, sports teams have traditionally been unsuccessful and were associated with losing every made fun of. You could ask the Cubs how that felt for 100 years. I mean, to be a, be a perennial 100-year loser was tough. How Mike show up and change that whole perception in the course of like a decade was scary. I mean, he changed the sentiment and he sparked one of the best dynasties in all pro sports. There is also, uh, you know, there also hasn't been any other athlete like that, you know, in my time or anybody else's time. You know, you might go back, you might go back to Muhammad Ali, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, a lot of greats out there. I mean, Michael, Michael, hands down, is, you know, I've seen, a, we've seen a lot of great players. We've seen Kobe. I've seen that the LBJ thing. I mean, I think nobody sits on that throne the same way. I mean, you know. You think about, you know, we'll talk about that at some point about the, the Mount Rushmore basketball, but 
And my mom wants more basketball. He's sitting there with not too many people around him at this point. There's people on the mountain with him, but that mountain where he's at has got better granite than anybody else <laughs> at this point. Mm. Um, mm. Also, you know, I want to mention that, you know, we're going to have a last dance, last dance giveaway. And we'll have more details on that, you know, uh, as we move on to this episode. Thanks for that curtain call, uh, Novak. I, I definitely agree with you that about that. And, man, I, I'm kind of interested about this uh, last dance uh, giveaway. I wonder uh, – what what you cook up, man? You you want to give anybody any hints, or we just they got they just got to stay tuned. We won't give away our promise scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> <laughs> you a fool! You a fool, bro! Jules, hit us with that final thought, man. Oh man, the final thought is. Mike is the best there ever was, the, the best there ever was, and the best there ever will be. So here's a little mentality on Mike, on what he said on, on the, the uh, documentary. When they have a price, and leadership have a price. So he pulled people along who don't want to be pulled, and he challenged people who don't want to be a challenge. But he earned that right because the teammates that came after him didn't do all the things that he endured, and he endured a lot. When you join this team, you live with a certain standard that he played the game. He wasn't going to take anything less. If that means he had to get in your ass a little bit, that's what he had to do. But you ask, but you ask his teammates one thing about Mike, and he'll never ask you to do anything that he wouldn't do. That was his mentality. He, you know, a quote from Michael Jordan again, he missed more than 9,000 shots in his career. I lost almost 300 games. 26 times he'd been trusted to take the winning shot and miss. He failed over and over and over again in my life. And that's why I succeeded by Michael Jordan. Thank you, my brother. Chris. Appreciate that final thought. Episode 12, fellas, is in the books. We want to thank you guys for the continued support and for listening to this podcast. As always, you can find this podcast on iHeartRadio. You can follow this podcast on Spotify. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Red Circle. We're the Pulling Back the Curtain podcast. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.